Good morning, everyone. My name is Janet. It's so great to be here at the Alder Grove campus. Um, I'm one of the pastors at North Langley Community Church, and I get to work with Kevin and John. It's the best. It's so great. And I love being here at this campus, and it's just, uh, it's just wonderful. I'm sort of make, uh, you know, able to see more faces that I know, names that I connect to faces, and it's just a great joy to be here with you this morning. I'd just like to also say welcome maybe to those of you who are new. Maybe you're returning after Easter or you're just exploring who Jesus is or what is church all about. So we're so glad you're here. Welcome. And thank you also to Tasha and Isaac for leading us in worship this morning. We are in a series of, called Abide a worship series. It's actually seven weeks, Tasha, not six, so yay. Yeah, so seven weeks of exploring what it means to live a life of worship to Jesus. Um, seven weeks to explore, like as a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to be a worshiper? I mean, this is a big topic, which is why we need seven weeks and not six. But this series, just so you know, is part of an ongoing vision that we have to be people apprenticed to the life of Jesus. And so we've been doing uh, a variety of series throughout the past years, actually starting in 2018. So if you've joined the Alder Grove campus perhaps this fall, you may not be aware that these series that we do help us to understand how do I follow Jesus in today's world as, as someone who wants to um, understand how to be apprenticed to the life of Jesus. So here's a few of the series we've done. And if you want to find these, they're available on our website to go back. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that one. I want to know more about that area of following Jesus. So some of the series we've done is Life Together. We don't follow Jesus alone. We follow Jesus in community. On our knees, learning how to pray as he prayed. Loved. How do we follow Jesus when it comes to our identity, our sexuality, our gender? Scripture and the authority of God's word. Shalom. How do we be followers of Jesus in, in, in a world that's often angry or polarized or anxious? Forgive us. That was a series on forgiveness and repentance, the gift of the Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit lead us closer to Jesus? Digitology, learning to follow Jesus in a digital age with our phones in our pockets and purses. The Jesus Revolution, that was more recent. Learning to see how the values, maybe the ethics of Jesus, like compassion and equality, are good for our world and good for us. And most recently, of course, in the winter, we did a series called Leading Together. And that was understanding how men and women follow and lead uh, in the church together in partnership. And then throughout the different series that we've been a part of, we go back to the Gospel of Luke. That's been since 2020, in and out of the Gospel of Luke. And why? Because we want to be anchored in Jesus. We want to know what it means to be apprenticed to the life of Jesus. So that brings us to today, our series on worship. And it's a seven-week journey, worshiping the living God. So can we pray together and just prepare our hearts for this? Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person who is sitting in this room. 
God, and thank you for those who are working outside of this room with our children and our, and our young people. But God, in this place, we want to submit our thoughts, our minds, our hearts to you. Jesus, teach us. We need your Holy Spirit to understand. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So in, I think it was 2009, uh, myself, along with maybe 10 or 12 others, we were part of a short-term mission trip to Africa. And as many of you know, when you fly to Africa, you have to land somewhere in between, somewhere in Europe or something like that. We had a layover in London, and it was about eight or 10 hours. So we were like, okay, let's leave the airport and go somewhere. And where we went was Holy Trinity Brompton Church. Some of you may know that that church is where the Alpha Course originated with a vicar there named Nikki Gumbel. And I was so excited to, to be part of, uh, of a service. We actually got to take in a Sunday night service at Holy Trinity. And this is a church that was built in the 1820s. So when you walk in, it's beautiful, and it's just uh, huge and on the inside. And um, it was packed. It was packed on, a, on an evening service. And the hymns and the choruses, it was just, well, it was just awesome to be there because it was kind of like a pilgrimage for me because I'd done the Alpha Course so many times. And um, so we had that experience. And then uh, we hopped on a plane, went to Uganda and Tanzania. And the next Sunday, we were worshiping in a tin roof hut with see-through walls and wooden benches that everybody sat on, but they didn't actually sit on the benches, mostly. <laughs> the worship there was so different. It was exuberant and noisy and, and active. And I thought to myself, how can this be so different? Just two Sundays apart, being with God's people in worship, and it's so different, but we're worshiping the same God. So why is it that people from all over the world and cultures have completely different styles of worship, but still, they come together every week, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, to be near God? Why are you here? Why do you worship? How do you worship? Well, as Tasha already showed us, in the Psalms, we often get a picture of the heart of worship. And the psalm that we're going to focus on that we already read together was Psalm 63. But I'd like us to actually read it together, like all together in unison. So it's going to go up there on the screen, and let's read it together. Okay, it's probably, so we all say the same words. You might want to read off the screen instead of your Bibles, but Psalm 63, a psalm of David. Okay, ready? Let's go. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is the song of David, but here David is a young man, and he's with uh, his, his men that traveled with him, and he's been banished 
from uh, Jerusalem. He's hiding in the Judean desert. He's thirsty. He's hungry. And he uses this kind of a metaphor to talk about being thirsty and hungry for God. Likely, this psalm was written at the springs of En Gedi in the middle of the desert. I was in Israel a few weeks ago. I had an amazing privilege of being there, and I got to visit the springs of En Gedi in the middle of the Judean desert. And I thought about this psalm, this psalm where David was longing to be with God, longing to worship out in the middle of a desert. I don't know if there's a picture of that in Gedi Springs. You can see it up there. But where does he long to be? Where does he want to be? He wants to be in Jerusalem. He wants to be in the temple of the Lord. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. See, the destination for the psalmist is the temple. And why? Because that's the dwelling place of God. For the people of Israel, the temple was the place where God was. It was a center of their worship. And the courts around the temple were the little, literal space where you could come near to God. The people of Israel would travel sometimes several times a year, um, if they were able, and they would go up to Jerusalem. So only a few times a year they were able to actually be near God. And when they left, it was like, you know, leaving a retreat or a, or a real high point. And you wondered, when will I get back here again? When can I be near God? How long will it be? David also writes in Psalm 84, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. And if he could think of one place in the world that he'd want to be, it's in the temple courts. Psalm uh, he says this in Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. A doorkeeper? A doorkeeper in the temple? What does that mean? Well, the gates of the temple courts or the temple, um, actually the temple itself had to be guarded. There were rules about who could come and go and where they could be. And there were also valuable goods stored in the temple. So the gatekeeper had a job, make sure they weren't stolen. So he would stand for hours on end, day and night. And he's saying, I would prefer the lowliest job in the temple than to be anywhere else. Now, I had a chance to visit the temple area in Jerusalem. It's huge. It's 37 acres. You go up these stairs, and, and of course, it's, there's not the temple there anymore. It, there's a mosque there and the Dome of the Rock, but it's a huge area. And the psalmist is saying, I would prefer a position way out here just to be near God and near his presence than to have it all. I just want to be near God. And David is literally saying, here I am in a desert, dry, thirsty, abandoned, and I want to be in God's presence. He's hungry, he's thirsty for God. Now we fast forward a thousand years, and Jesus comes. And what is his message? It's so radically new and different. Jesus preached that people no longer need a building. They don't need to go up to Jerusalem to meet with God. Why? Because Jesus is the place where we meet with God. He's the new temple. He's the literal, literal dwelling place of God. This was so mind-blowing for his followers. 
They had such a hard time grasping this, that Jesus is the place where we draw near to God. They no longer needed a pilgrimage. They no longer needed a few times a year to go worship at a temple made of stone. No, we have Jesus. That's where we draw near to God. That's where we find him. That's where we are spiritually filled. The answer, come to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Okay, so our series is called Abide, and we're going to talk about that word for a minute because you'll hear it a lot for the next seven weeks. Jesus described our life in him like branches of a vine. We are the branches, he's the vine. And he says this, abide in me, I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That Greek word abide, meno. And abide means simply stay. Just remain in one place. Um, about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, I was pruning my grapevine. Anyone here have grapevines that they prune? No? Okay, maybe one or two. Well, my grapevine, it's 25 years old. Yes, I've lived in the same house for 25 years. And it's huge. Like, the trunk is really sturdy and huge. But the vines keep producing because they abide. They stay attached. And that's like... What Jesus is saying, Jesus is the vine. Jesus is our life source. He is where my direction, identity, purpose, goals, love, life, everything comes from. I abide in him. And then I can say, like David, because your love, Jesus, is better than life, I will be fully satisfied with you, Jesus, as with the richest of foods. So, hungry and thirsty. That's the topic for this morning that we're looking at. I think sometimes we can't relate in the same way, right? Because why? We have food, we have drink in abundance. And, and this idea of being hungry and thirsty, you know, they're natural expressions of our human experience for food and water. But between, you know, hunger and actually the act of eating is appetite, appetite or craving. And one of the clear indicators that something is wrong with us physically is that we, what, lose our appetite. It's the same spiritually. To hunger and thirst for God is at the root of our being. It's how we were created. God designed us that way. But because that hunger and longing is so basic to human nature and needs to be fulfilled, we often look other places rather than seeking God. And we can lose our appetite for him. We aren't hungry and thirsty. We maybe feel distant from God. And much as eating unhealthy, you know, junk food can kind of dull our appetites for, for the good stuff, behaviors can also dull our spiritual appetites for God. And things like hectic schedules and uh, distractions, scrolling on our phones, uh, binging Netflix, shopping, video games, you name it. It's like snacking on junk food. And it dulls our inner hunger for God, and we might not even realize that we, we don't have a longing anymore to be in his presence. Yet even in our busyness, and I think even in our distractions, if we, if we really uh, get in touch with, with our hearts, we know that we're, we're, we're searching, aren't we? There's a deep need for God. Oftentimes when we just slow down, 
or maybe times when we hit a crisis, maybe times we just feel aimless or unfulfilled or disappointed, we recognize that there are longings and hunger in our heart for something more, something eternal, something, something outside of ourselves. I mean, Bruce Springsteen recognized it. Everybody's got a hungry heart, right? What do you hunger for? What do you long for? Mick Jagger then helpfully reminds us that he can't get no satisfaction. Yeah. So we have hungry hearts, and we're never satisfied. And that's just the spirit of our age. It kind of sums it up. Nothing we're doing is truly giving us the satisfaction that we're looking for. So because we have these unfulfilled longings, what do we do? We consume. We consume everything from romantic interests to travel to uh, entertainment to food to sports to money to friendships, even the well-being of our children. And some of these things are amazing. They're great. They're beautiful. But they don't actually quench our deep longing, hunger, and thirst. We have a hungry heart. Deep within, we often realize or come to recognize that we're restless for God. St. Augustine writes, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Do you believe that? Is that your experience? Well, can we be honest? Maybe some of us are here today. Maybe you even sang through those couple of worship songs in the beginning of the service. You're here and you're like, ah, what happens when I don't really feel like I want to pursue God? Or maybe we're here and we're saying, I can't even relate to the psalmist. Like, you know, he's so artistic and touchy-feely, and I just can't, I can't, I, that's not me. I don't even really have a desire to worship God. I try, I try, but I don't feel hungry. I don't feel thirsty for God's presence. Listen, I understand. I really do. And during the times when we feel disconnected from God, we're not drawn to them, not drawn to him, I don't know, for me, it really helps me to ask something that's so fundamental, and that is, what am I believing about God? What am I truly believing about God and who he is? Because that really plays into why I may resist spending time with him, why I feel distant. What does it, why does it seem, and this has been my experience, I'm being honest, why does it seem, seem that you know, experiencing God works for other people but not for me? So this is where I start often. I start and think, what am I believing about God and how he feels about me? See, it's difficult to love God, to feel like worshiping him, if I feel like he's kind of disappointed with me or he's fed up with me. Or he's like, ah, her again. Yeah. Or he's angry with me. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I've, I've made him upset. When we were in Israel... We were walking down a street one evening, and all of a sudden someone grabbed my arm and shouted, and barreling down the sidewalk towards us was this huge porcupine. Like, it was ginormous. I don't think I've ever seen a porcupine except maybe in a zoo. Has anyone here, are porcupines live here? Do porcupines live here? They do? 
well, look at that. Did not know that porcupines, I've never encountered a porcupine here. And yet, uh, I get they're, they're, they're com maybe they're more, they probably are more common in Israel because this was just on a street in Jerusalem. And this was a huge porcupine just like char charging down the sidewalk. And I was like, yeah, and I screamed and a porcupine ran under a bus. It was a, like a parked bus, <laughs> so there was no squa squash porcupine. But, but you know, I, like, I'm like, keep that thing at a distance. And I thought, isn't that sort of how I am with God? Like, he's, like he's prickly. He's, he could throw his quills. I don't know. Do porcupines do that? You know, and get me. And they don't. <laughs> well, there is somebody here that knows a lot more about porcupines than I do. <laughs> We have to talk after. But, um, you know, like, just keep God at a distance, because I'm just not sure. Like, is he, is he out to get me? Is he just prickly? Um, is he annoyed with me? So when I'm not hungry or thirsty to be in the presence of Jesus, I need to start reminding myself how God actually feels about me. And you know why? Because my own feelings are so fickle. They're so up and down. They're so unpredictable. They're just, you know, based on my feelings. How am I doing? How am I performing? How am I measuring up? How am I not measuring up? How am I messing up? And when I, when I try to, um, you know, come to God with all that, plus, God, this is what you're like, it's rough. I find it difficult to want to be close to him. So I go back to 1 John 4, 10, and verse 19 often, because this is what the Apostle John, who knew Jesus so well, and Jesus loved so well, this is what he said. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. That's my starting point. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So do I believe God is prickly or annoyed with me or exas exasperated with me? Or when I think about Jesus' love for me, am I convinced that it's generous and open and extravagant and forgiving and God's overjoyed to be with me? And that he actually is delighted with me. I can't wait to be near a God like that. That I know wants to be with me every single day. In the state that I'm in. In the way that I come to him. Because that's the God that's revealed in Jesus. And if we truly believe that he is love. And he loves us when we are completely unlovable. Then we would say with the psalmist. Your love is better than life. I'm fully satisfied in you. And I want to cultivate an appetite to be with a God who's crazy about me. And he's crazy about you. And he wants to be with you. So don't keep it. You know, our, our small um, images of God, don't let that keep you from wanting to be near him. He wants to be near you. So, a book that I have read is called You Are What You Love. Maybe some of you have heard of that book. You Are What You Love. It's by James K.A. Smith. And he says this, just to move on from, you know, understanding. 
uh, how we can cultivate a heart that wants to be with God, a hungry and thirsty heart. He says this, you can't just think your way to new tastes. Let me illustrate it this way. He says, we can develop our appetites, we can develop new tastes, but that comes by changing our habits. So during COVID, of course, we were all locked down in our homes, and in my home, uh, for long periods of time, I just found myself gravitating toward the fridge or to the pantry, or it's just so easy, right? I'm not at work, so ha, huh, everything's accessible here at home. And um, when COVID was over, I thought, I need to do something new. So I started eating avocado toast and salads and cottage cheese, and not because I actually liked those things, but because I thought, okay, they're good for me. I have to make some changes. But I actually really like those things now. So ask the staff at um, when we all eat together, they make fun of my meals because it's like I'm eating cottage cheese. And they're like, Janet, that's so gross. I'm like, well, actually, I love it. Like, I, I buy it every week. See, I've developed new hungers. I've developed new cravings, new appetite for different foods. See, remember between eating, and if we call that worshiping God, and hunger and thirst, which means desiring to be with God, is appetite. And that's something we can actually cultivate. An appetite for loving God, for his presence. Because, and, and just listen, emotions and desires and appetites are not something we can affect directly. Like, it's not something we can work on. We don't work on those things. Like, I'm just going to try harder to desire God and his presence. No, I've discovered in my life that I can begin new habits. And those new habits will work to cultivate a hunger for God. Or, conversely, I can starve competing appetites that dampen my hunger for God. Now, this is a bit of a radical concept that many of us, um, I find challenging to think about it. C.S. Lewis describes it in this way. He describes it in terms of the command to love others. He says, or to love your neighbor. He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. And that is what uh, James Smith is adapting, this concept of habit and hunger to our love of God. But oftentimes we react to this, don't we? And we react in this way. When we're told... Um, we're told we must live authentically, to be true to ourselves. It's like self-actualization, right? And, and this concept sort of betrays that self-actualization. Self-actualization is where self-expression is our highest goal. And if we don't feel it, it's not real. Plus, if love is generally a feeling that comes from deep within, then the notion that we should love God despite our feelings, that seems inauthentic somehow or, or false. Like, do we fake it till we make it? Is that what Lewis is telling us? How do we love God with everything when we have been conditioned to wait until we feel love? Let me ask you this. Is not feeling it what we're really struggling with in our worship of God? I think sometimes 
for myself, I don't know what to do when I don't feel a hunger and thirst for God, like at a most basic level. Many times, and this is so true, many times our feelings, our longings, our affections do precede our worship and our willingness to be in God's presence. But I'm guessing I'm not alone here, and I would say that that's not often or doesn't happen all the time. See, some mornings I wake up and I'm eager to read my Bible and to pray and spend time with God. Some Sundays I wake up and I can't wait to get to church. But true confessions, not always. And let me just maybe put it out there this way. Instead of faking it, which nobody would suggest, of course, might we simply act in faith? Act in faith? So instead of waiting for our inner longings or motivations to like propel us towards worshiping God, might we ask this, what would I do, how would I act if I did feel hungry and thirsty for God? Would I prioritize being with his people in church? Would I turn off my phone and begin a life journaling habit? Would I ask a few others to form an apprentice group to pray together? Would I um, come on Wednesday nights to be part of worship, musical worship. And as our actions in faith pursue loving God, sometimes those habits form longings and hungers that we didn't know we had. Now it's true again that our actions often flow from our feelings, but it's likewise true that your desires also, also flow from your actions. It happens to me sometimes when I just show up or serve someone. But I want to be really clear, feelings and emotions are not the object, of course. They're not. Jesus is, being connected to the vine, knowing that he is where true worship is, the presence of Jesus. I don't often get overwhelmed with big feelings in my quiet time, or even on a walk in nature, or singing worship songs. I've stopped beating myself up over that. We're all created differently. But I have, over many years, I say this humbly, formed habits that cultivate an appetite for God. To want to spend time with him and be with God's people. If I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks, I feel like my soul is shriveling up and I can't wait to get back to church and, and be part of the family again. See, these habits have created loves and longings. I practice dwelling and delighting uh, in quiet with God. My personality is an activator, and those two don't always <laughs> mix, but I know that my soul needs time with God because we need to experience our faith. We need to be part of something and have practices that grow our hunger for God. And for many, that is an emotional awareness of God during a worship service. This week I was talking to my daughter, and she, um, she has been part of the Alpha course at the Walnut Grove campus, and she was leading an Alpha table. And she was describing this profound spiritual experience that she's having seeing people come to know Jesus for the first time. And she's helping people discover who he is and, and uh, how much God loves them. It's making her so hungry and thirsty for more. To see God's spirit bring new life. She gets to be part of that and she's alive. 
I remember the time, it must be, I don't know, is it 10, 12 years ago that I led our first Celebrate Single Moms Day. And um, it was this profound sense of God's presence as I watched people uh, give and love and serve together. Uh, you know, it was, I was so overwhelmed that first time. I was a mess all day long. And, you know, those experiences, they, they just propel us towards places where we see God at work, we know he's real, and it builds our faith. They're faith-building experiences, and those grow in appetite for God. You won't get those sitting on your couch at home watching TV, but you will, depending on how you're wired you can join Jesus in faith-building experiences, whether it's reading your Bible with someone, whether it's generously giving and seeing needs met, whether it's worshiping, whether it's um, you know even playing with your children and watching them laugh and giggle and reading them Bible stories. And we, we, these experiences grow our hunger and thirst for God. I had the privilege of watching an amazing group of men, and they're still at it giving so much time and effort to see this building renovated. And we're so grateful for them. And I mean, I, I do so little, but I show up at the committee meetings sometimes. And there, there's one person, I won't name him. I don't even know if he's here today, but honestly, there's one person who leads that team. And when we come together for a committee meeting, he cannot stop talking about the amazing work of God, how God is working in people's lives here, how even through the trades and, and the renovations, God's doing these, putting these amazing pieces together and these stories. And, and I, it, that just builds faith. It builds faith. His experiences are confirming that God is real and it keeps us hungering for more. They're expressions of worship. So how do you cultivate a heart for worship? What helps you know, God, you're real? What helps you know, God, you love me because you're using me and you're, you've gifted me and I see you at work around me because those experiences make us want to love him more. That's all part of worship and it grows our heart of worship, our hunger and thirst for God. We'll end with this, a slide will come up here, and it's again by James K.A. Smith. The church, the body of Christ, is the place where God invites us to renew our loves, reorient our desires, and retrain our appetites. The church is that household of faith where the Spirit feeds us what we need, and where, by his grace, we become a people who desire him above all else. Christian worship is the feast where we acquire new hungers for God and for what God desires, and then we're sent out in his creation to act accordingly. So in these next seven weeks, together, together as the church, let's cultivate our appetite to love Jesus. And maybe this is new for you. Maybe you're just in the place where you're wondering, God, who are you and what is this all about? Pay attention. Pay attention to the longing of your heart, to wanting to know who Jesus is. So we'll spend the next seven weeks connecting with a God who loves us, who is not prickly towards us, but who is overjoyed to be with us, who runs to us every day. And if you feel like David, 
Maybe you're in a dry and parched desert place. That's okay too. I think the desert is a good place to be. Why? Because in the desert, it's a place where often we acknowledge that we have a thirst or a hunger, where we actually acknowledge, you know, things aren't right. I do want more, God. I want to know you more. And in the desert, we can often say, yeah, I am dehydrated. I am, you know, starving. I want a hunger and thirst for you, God. And I want the desire to follow you. And God will speak to you as the worship team comes up. Uh, we're going to sing a song together. The song is called Abide. And one, one line in that song is, is, says, teach me to abide. And I thought, why does it say teach me to abide? It's because we need help with this. And the Holy Spirit teaches us how to abide in Jesus. So let me pray for us as we sing. God, thank you that you have us here for a reason. Lord Jesus, you want to connect with us deeply in our hearts, minds, soul, and strength so that we can follow you, Lord, and we can, our lives can be transformed by your presence. Lord Jesus, you are not far off from us. You are with us even in our own hearts. And so today we say, teach us, teach us to abide. Would you help us in these next seven weeks learn how to worship you because we want to abide in your presence. We want to hunger and thirst for you, God, however that looks for each one of us. And it can be very different. God, you know us each individually. So teach us to abide in Jesus' name. Amen.